If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, or you can follow along on the Version app. And uh, while you're turning there, I'm going to ask you to multitask just a little bit. Uh, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to think back to when you were 10 years old. And when I say that, some of you might think, man, if I think too hard, I'll wish I was 10 years old again. Um, But I want you to think back to when you were 10 years old. And I want you to think about Christmas Eve. Uh, I want you to think about, you know, you're laying in your bed, it's Christmas Eve, and you are thinking about the next day. And over and over again in your mind, it's running through the excitement of that next day. And you could be excited for many different reasons. You may be excited that you're going to get to see family that maybe you haven't seen in a while. Maybe everybody's traveling to to your house, and the next day you're going to see brothers, sisters, aunts, and uncles, cousins, people that you don't get to see all the time, maybe because of distance or crazy schedules. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking about opening presents the next day. And maybe the excitement of of what you're going to get when you open those presents. Maybe you have been uh, putting the bug in your uh, parents' ears for months and months and months saying, you know what, I could really use this. I really want this. And you're hoping that maybe, just maybe, they've heard all of your requests. And when you open your presents, you're going to find that one thing that you've been waiting for. I want you to think about what it was like when you were 10 years old and you were just excited and you were thinking about that next day and you're thinking about it with great anticipation. With great anticipation. And I want you to think, what if you were somebody growing up in the nation of Israel? Maybe you had been hearing for a while that a Messiah was to come, a Savior was going to come, and you had been waiting and waiting and waiting through all of these different things that have happened, the, the captivity and uh, all these nations kind of having their thumb over you, and you're just, you're waiting and you're waiting and waiting. Where is the Messiah? Where is the promised one? And you're waiting with great anticipation. When is he going to get here? When is he coming? When will he arrive? We've waited and we've waited and we've waited. Well, in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 and following, we read a couple of stories of anticipation. We read stories of anticipation from people who have been waiting and longing to see the Messiah, who have been hearing about this promised Messiah, and they are they're excited, they're waiting for him to arrive. And we see two encounters with two people who see this Messiah. And they're, the words they speak, the excitement that they have, I think are good reminders to us for how we should approach the Messiah. Not just today, not just during the holiday season, but each and every day. And so we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, 22. We're going to start with the first two verses, 22 through 24, and it says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping 
with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. And so we see Mary and Joseph and uh, baby Jesus go into Jerusalem because they have to go to the temple uh, for two reasons. The first one is for purification rites uh, that were required in the law of Moses. This comes to us out of Leviticus chapter 12, 1 through 8, which tells us, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised, and the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the day of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter for two weeks, the woman will be unclean as during her period. Then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. And so these are the, the this is what it says in the law, and so Mary goes uh, there to uh, complete that purification rite, that purification process, but not only while they're there do they have to do that, but also they are to consecrate, they are to give to the Lord uh, that firstborn uh, child, firstborn son, or firstborn of the animals, and so they go for that. This comes in Exodus 13, 1 through 2. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. And so what they would have to do is they would have to go in and they would have to pay five shekels as an offering for that firstborn. I like how Warren Wearsby puts it. They had to pay five shekels to redeem the Redeemer who would one day redeem us with his precious blood. How ironic is that, that they would have to redeem the Redeemer? But that's what they would do. And it says... They had to offer, as part of the purification rites, they had to offer a sacrifice that kept with the law a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This kind of shows us, it does show us, how poor Mary and Joseph were. They couldn't provide a, a lamb, they didn't have the money for that, and so they uh, did what they could afford, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This just shows us the poor background that Jesus was born into. Second Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. That was just kind of the background that he came into. That leads us now into verse 25 and 26. That sets up the scene for what's about to take place. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. You see, this is the only time we read about Simeon. We don't know much about him. 
we see that he takes Jesus and blesses him, which would be a job for the priest, and yet it doesn't tell us that that's who he is. All we do know is what the text tells us. It tells us that he was a righteous and a holy man. A righteous man, a holy man, loved the Lord. And we see that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel simply means the comfort of Israel. Isaiah 57, 18 tells us, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners. And where would this comfort come from? This comfort would come from the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 tells us, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jeremiah 23, 5 tells us, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. The other thing we read here about Simeon is that the Holy Spirit is on him. The Holy Spirit is on him like the prophets of old. We'll see the Holy Spirit arrive on a big scope and a big scene at Pentecost, but right now he would go from God's servant to servant as needed. And in 27, verse 27 through 32, it tells us this. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So the Spirit is on him, and the Spirit moves him in the direction of Christ, moves him into the temple just as Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are coming in to the temple. And so he takes Jesus in his arms and he praises God. And he says, you can dismiss your servant in peace. You've promised me that I wouldn't die until I see the Messiah. And now I have seen the Messiah and you can uh, dismiss your servant in peace. We don't know how old Simeon is. It doesn't tell us, but just the way it sounds, it sounds like he was an older man, that he had a promise fulfilled in his life. You would see the Messiah, and he has seen the Messiah. You can dismiss your servant in peace. It says, because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. This child is salvation. He brings salvation. Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Romans 5, 6 through 8, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This little child would grow up and he would be salvation for his people and for a multitude of people. As it tells us, a, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. 
Man, the Jews did not like this idea of, of revelation to the Gentiles. They couldn't fathom that God would bring salvation to Gentiles. And we see in the book of Acts that this is a struggle even in the church. They don't know what to do with these Gentiles who are now believers. And there's a struggle with that. But you see, God told us that he would include the Gentiles in his plan of salvation. The Old Testament tells us that this would happen. Psalm 67.2 tells us, So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Isaiah 2.2, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. And Joel 2.28, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So he would be a light to the Gentiles, but also the glory of your people of Israel. Don't get it wrong. For as many times as they made mistakes over and over and over again, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. Acts 13, 17, the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stays in Egypt. Simeon says, you can dismiss me. I have seen your salvation. And that salvation is going to be for all people. He'll bring glory to the nation of Israel, and he will be a light to all nations. In verse 33 through 35, it tells us this. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul they marveled at what was said to them this would mean that they were amazed or astonished the Holy Spirit moved Simeon moved him to, to the temple moved him to speak the words that he spoke they were amazed at what was said and maybe amazed at the impact that their child would have for the whole world I mean, think about Mary and Joseph. All of this is so crazy. All this stuff that has taken place is so, it's hard to fathom everything that had been told them. Imagine now, your son is not going to just be great for the nation of Israel, but for all the world, all the nations. They were marveled and amazed at this. But then Simeon tells them, here's the thing, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against. And so, to those, there are a few that would be, more than a few, that Jesus would be a stumbling block, that he would cause their fall. Isaiah 14, or 8, 14 tells us, he will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Matthew 21, 42, Jesus says, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. There would be those who chose not to believe. There would be those who had the Messiah there in their presence, and they rejected him. They ignored him, just like we talked about in John 1. People hated the light, and they chose to live in darkness. They don't like the things he says. They don't like the things he did. But not only would there be those he caused to fall, there would be those who he caused to rise. And when they rise with him, it would be a glorious thing. John eleven twenty five, 25. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Ephesians 2, 6 reminds us, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And then he says these words to Mary. He says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. You see the word here for sword in the Greek, it's a word that represents the long, broad sword. And this long, broad sword, it's associated with great injury and great pain. And you see this would manifest itself in a few ways. She would experience her child dying on the cross. Imagine you're the the mother of Jesus and you're watching your son die on this cross. Hands, feet nailed to it the pain that that would cause. But think about this. Not only would she see that physical pain and feel that mental pain, she would look up on the cross and she would see the hope of redemption dying in front of her. This was supposed to be the Messiah. This was supposed to be the Savior. And here he is dying on the cross. There goes our hope of redemption. Little did she realize that three days later he would rise again. But imagine the pain that she must be feeling in that moment. And Simeon tells her, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Then we move on from Simeon to another story. In verse 36 through 38, it says this. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we see this lady, Anna. She was a prophetess in the line of other prophetesses like Miriam, Deborah, the unnamed prophetess in Isaiah chapter 8. And we see that she was widowed she lived with her husband seven years and then a widow until 84 and we see that she never left the temple but she worshiped night and day fasting and praying and i love what mark moore says about these verses he says she had watched god preparing the political times for the messiah she had seen julius caesar rise to power and knew of his assassination She watched the steady and sad decline of the illustrious Maccabean rule, which gave freedom to her people for the first time since Ezra and Nehemiah 200 years before. She was a young woman when Pompey, a Roman general, conquered the Mideast for Rome. She watched as the hated Edomites of the Herod family were placed in power over Palestine. She witnessed the rise of two opposing religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. She had lived under Rome's heavy taxation and under the Jewish heavy religious legalism. The times were ripe for Christ. She watched and waited and hoped. And you see, she never left the temple. She was there day and night, worshiping God, fasting and praying. You see, she served in the only way that she could. She wouldn't have been able to do any of the other priestly duties because of the fact that she was a woman. But you know what she did? She served the only way she could. She prayed and she fasted. 
and coming to them at just the right time, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about this child and how this child would bring redemption. And the sad thing is, is that many would miss it. And so we, t- or we see two stories here. We see Simeon and then we see Anna. And I think there's two things that they say. One of them says one, the other of them says the other. But two things that this child brings. And it's this. Through him, we have salvation and redemption. Through him, we have salvation and redemption. Simeon tells us that he has seen salvation. His eyes have seen salvation. You see, he has brought salvation. He came into this world to bring salvation. Matthew 1, 21 tells us, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Luke 2, 11 through 12 tells us, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. He has brought salvation, and he has also brought redemption. He has redeemed us. This is what Anna was talking about, looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. He has brought redemption. I love this definition of redemption. It says the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And this is exactly what Jesus has done. He has come and he has redeemed us. He has restored us to him. Because of his actions, we can be back with the Father. We can be back in good graces with the Father because he took the payments. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He has taken on our debt. He has taken on that payment for us. Hebrews 7, 27 reminds us, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. You see, this morning we worship him together We celebrate the birth of Christ and we celebrate what this means. You see, the law was powerless to save us. The law could not save us. The law could not make up for our sins. No, we needed help. We needed that atonement. We needed somebody to pay that cost, to be the sacrifice. And that sacrifice is Jesus. It was Jesus. And this morning we celebrate his birth, knowing what he would do for all of us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, maybe this morning when you woke up, you opened gifts. Maybe you got up early and you pulled out those gifts from under the tree and you you opened them up. Or maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe you're going to do that this afternoon. But here's the thing. None of those gifts that you opened today or yesterday, if you opened them yesterday, none of those gifts can even compare to the gift that we have been given. No gift can compare to the gift that God has given us in his son. Last night, Cody talked about it, and he talked about this great love story that we're a part of, how God loves us so much that he would send 
his son for us. And he does, and he has sent us this great gift. And here's the thing, this gift that he has sent us, it is the only gift that matters. It's the only gift that matters because without this gift, we're in trouble. Without this gift, there's no hope for us because that gift is the only thing that gets us to heaven. John 10, 9 tells us, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. John 14, 6 tells us, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts 4, 12 tells us, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no greater gift because that gift is the gift that brings us eternal life. It is that gift that brings us salvation and redemption. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him, what better time than now to do that? On your connect cards and the chairs around you, you can write it down. I'd love to talk with you. Maybe you want to talk this morning. I'd love to talk with you. Our elders would love to talk with you. Maybe you're here this morning and with all the things that have been happening around you, Maybe we've just gotten off track. And maybe this morning, we don't have that same excitement that Simeon and Anna had when they, see, or when they saw the Messiah. Maybe you're struggling this morning. Maybe you just don't have that, that joy. Maybe you're struggling trying to find that, that peace. If that's the case, maybe this morning what you need to do is you just need to lay it at the feet of God. Lay those things that are distracting you, hindering you from worshiping him this morning, celebrating him and what he has done for you. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. I'd love to pray with you. But you see, this morning we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. And we celebrate knowing that he has brought us salvation. He has saved us from our sins. He has redeemed us. He has taken on the payment. He has taken on the sacrifice for us. And we don't deserve it. And yet he did it for us anyway. And so this morning, if you're here and you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.